Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock. Happy Tuesday afternoon to all of you out there. Uh, <clears throat> not a happy Tuesday. Oh, happy Tuesday, Uncle Jimmy. That's right. <clears throat> yeah, oh, I mean, back. I am back. I yeah, mean, you're still back. You know, oh, we're back my, yesterday. I miss my friend Uncle Jimmy. Now it's just like business as usual. Go ahead, boy. I'm glad you. They still got the welcome back, you know, sign up behind you and all that. that seven days, man. Yeah. Seven days. That's... Oh, we're going to do that all week. Yeah, we're going to welcome days. you back all yeah, week. You, 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 know how, you know how we do, man. We stretch yeah. the birthday out seven yeah. days. <laughs> It's my birthday week. That is, that, dude, that is crazy. That's how women do it now. It's my birthday week. week. <laughs> Girl, I'm a fool with you for your birthday for about 45 minutes. You're going to be done. Anyway, Let's my go. sister just went through her birthday week, and I'm sure she's irritated with me. Anyway, uh, we have a fantastic show uh, planned today, and it's really, we've zeroed in on the biggest news of the morning and afternoon, uh, Cam Newton. Cam Reloose, released by Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. What did I say? Released? Released. Yeah, released, released. Yeah, like, what's going on with you and Corey? And yeah. <laughs> what, what did you writ? <laughs> yeah, Corey asked me today, did I writ something? <laughs> Didn't you writ something? You mean wrote? No, 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 you writ. <laughs> anyway, stay tuned. Uh, former NFL players, TJ Hushmanzada, uh, Pro Bowl, All-Pro wide receiver for the Cincinnati Bengals. He's going to join us to talk about Cam Newton getting cut. Former New England Patriots offensive lineman Rich Ornberger, he knows the Patriots system well. He's going to join us to talk about uh, Cam Newton being released. And, of course, Greg Couch, our very own Greg Couch, fearless contributor. If you watched yesterday's show, Greg Couch told you yesterday Cam was done. Greg burned bread on Cam. Yesterday. He burned okay. bread on him. <laughs> we sat here and had a discussion about how Cam was toast. And everybody else in the media was, was talking about Cam was going to be the starter. The leader. Yeah. <laughs> but they were just yesterday. They were people saying, oh, he's definitely going to be the starter. Uh, you know. Bill certainly wouldn't let him go. He'd yeah. at least keep him on the bench. Yeah. We told y'all yesterday Cam was done uh, and that Bill Belichick needed to move on and make Mac Jones the starter, and that's what he did today. Greg will join us. And, of course, we'll throw a little curveball, switch things up. Professor D. Delano uh, will join us later in the show. We'll talk about his column today about the author uh, Robin D'Angelo. You guys know her. She wrote White Fragility. She's one of these hot liberal writers or whatever that everybody's talking about. Delano's got a great take on, on her uh, for TheBlaze.com. But uh, we want to start with me uh, starting a fire. And this is just, I had a different whole different game plan uh, for today. And then the cam news broke and was like, hey, man, we got to go all cam all the time. I'm glad you told me about that like five minutes before. <laughs> I'm sorry really that you did. don't. I'm sorry you don't follow the news. I mean, I, you literally did. You said, "Oh yeah, we doing that now." <laughs> Bring it on, buddy. Well, anyway, uh, COVID cut Cam. <laughs> I'm sorry, Uncle Jimmy survived COVID. Cam Newton didn't. That's what happened when you work for Bill Belichick yeah. and when you work for Gaston Mooney. <laughs> 
<laughs> Actually, Jim, you're working for me. Uh, <laughs> so let's keep it real. Uh, <laughs> That's why my ass almost got cut. <laughs> there, there you go. <laughs> now you understand. Bill Belichick, he ain't about that life. And I, I don't want to in any way dance on Cam's grave. Uh, I, I was, I love Cam at Auburn. When he came into the NFL and had that MVP season, I was, what they call it, the dab? I was dabbing right with him, or was that? Yeah, he did the dab, didn't he? Yeah, yeah or was Superman, that? Superman. Was that cop? No, that was him. He, he No, that was, he, he did he the dab. He did the dab and the Superman. He, he did the Superman. Yeah. And, but hold on, I think Kaepernick, I can't remember who did what. But I was on board with Cam Newton. But I've always said, when uh, Jerry Richardson, the owner of the Carolina Panthers. Remember they kicked him out of the NFL on some BS. Jerry Richardson treated Cam like a son, former NFL player that became a billionaire and bought the Carolina Panthers, old white guy, everybody. He, he told Cam, hey man, we ain't doing the earring thing, we ain't doing the wild hair, we ain't doing all the tattoos and all that. We're gonna keep it business. Once Jerry Richardson stepped away from the Carolina Panthers, was forced to go look at Cam's career. And I know injuries played a big part in it, but Cam tapped into the wild side. Mm -hmm. And the next thing you know, Cam's hair was crazy. Cam was showing up to press conferences with scarves wrapped around his head and and, uh, clothing choices that were crazy. And it was all about far more than football with Cam Newton. He was interested in everything beyond football. And his career suffered. And I know people are gonna say, oh, well he was injured, you can't control injuries. I'm not sure if he would be injured and beat up if he had developed as a pocket passer and needed to run the football less. He would have taken less hits and had a longer career as a franchise quarterback, but because he continued to rely on his running ability. And the guy's six foot five, 260 pounds, built like a Greek god. I mean, built a lot like me, to be honest with you. I get how that can play into your ego and make you think you're invincible. And Cam thought he was invincible, but you cannot run through these NFL defenses for long particularly not at the quarterback position. Adrian Peterson can get away with it because playing running back is a very instinctive position. It's not, you don't have to get in the huddle and call plays as a running back. You don't have to know the difference between cover two and cover three and a single high safety. And if they blitz, I'm supposed to check to this or check to that. They hand Adrian Peterson the ball and tell him to run. Virtually any, my mama could do that. She couldn't do it as well as Adrian Peterson, but she could run some, may not get very far, may not even make it to the line of scrimmage. But that's not a thinking man's position, I'm sorry. When you play the thinking man's position, you can't just run around all the time because you get out of breath, you get hit, you see stars. I would say, as an offensive lineman, playing in the Mid-American Conference, not the NFL, not the SEC, but there was two or three times a game where you'd get your bell rung and you would see stars just playing in the Mid-American Conference. 
as an offensive lineman. Just me colliding with another big dude, play after play. Running the football eight to ten times a game, taking sacks in the huddle, getting out of breath, getting hit, seeing star. It's hard to do that at the quarterback position. Cam played the position wrong. I've seen a lot of people uh, today say a lot of silly things about Cam and what happened and, uh, you know, d- d- is, it, is it COVID? And again, COVID played a role in this because that's another example of Cam not taking care of business. He, he, he fell into the NFL protocol violations and got set down for uh, five days, Bill Belichick said at the time, that opened the door for Mac uh, Jones to be the starting quarterback for the New England Patriots. If you watch the Patriots' last uh, preseason game against the Giants, I believe, yeah, uh, it was clear as day on Saturday, like, oh, Cam, he's not a starting quarterback anymore in the NFL. It's, it's just over. Two of five, an interception, 10 yards. You, you just can't have. Once you got into the COVID protocol and you're an unvaccinated player, it, once you did that, your play has to be flawless and spotless. There can't be any questions about whether you can or can't do it. The NFL's rules, which I think are unfair, and we will get into that to some degree today. The NFL rules are unfair for unvaccinated players. Cam's already had COVID. He has the antibodies. He, in my view, he shouldn't be forced to take the vaccine. The NFL is trying to force everybody to take the vaccine. And so they've come up with all these rules and Cam violated the protocol that you can leave town, but you have to be vaccinated at the Patriots facility or whatever team you play for at their facility, you have to be tested every day. Cam left town on a approved trip. It was a medical trip approved by the Patriots, but he didn't get vaccinated that day at the Patriots facility. He got vaccinated wherever he had traveled to. The NFL is trying to jam this vaccine down all of their players' throats. I get what Cam is doing. He's had the virus. He has the antibodies. He doesn't want to take the vaccine. But he has to understand the position that he's in as an unvaccinated player in the NFL every day. So you can get the tested first thing in the morning, go out of town, come back the next day. But the next day, you better show your butt up at that facility at some point that day and get tested. He didn't do it. Five days sitting out, couldn't be with the team because of these bogus NFL rules. And then when you come out and play as poorly as he played in the third preseason game, Bill Belichick, because all coaches have some sort of scale, there's a line of BS that they will tolerate as long as the line of talent that you bring to the table Mm. is much longer than your BS line. Okay. Cam has become an average football player. So there's only an average amount of BS that they're going to tolerate. 
he's delivering as an unvaccinated player. It's just too high risk. These rules are set up to penalize and punish and trip up the unvaccinated players. They're not going to take that risk with the New England Patriots with their starting quarterback that he's going to get tripped up at some point during the week or during the season on these vaccine rules. It costs Cam Newton. And this is what a lot of people have been saying about Cam Newton from day one. The details. Is he buttoned up? Will he do all the little things you need to do at the quarterback position to be successful? The answer, particularly since Jerry Richardson got forced out of the NFL with the Carolina Panthers, the answer has been no. And Bill Belichick cut Cam loose. It's not, I'm not shocked. I think people around the league are are shocked. The other thing that uh, I'll get into with with, uh, TJ and Rich and, and Greg Couch is, of, of all the silly things I read and saw uh, today, Jim, the silliest uh, was Corey Smith in my text messages. <laughs> if you remember yesterday, off camera, we had a discussion where Corey was trying to tell me Cam was a Hall of Fame football player. And you... And I rejected that yesterday out here in front of everybody. I texted him this morning after Cam gets cut. I was like, you still want to stand on that opinion that uh, Cam Newton is going to the Hall of Fame? And this man stood on that opinion. It's the silliest, dumbest thing I've heard. And I've seen a lot of dumb stuff over Twitter about Cam Newton. But anybody who thinks Cam Newton is going to the Hall of Fame doesn't understand football or the Hall of Fame process. Can you name me one player in the NFL, not the NBA, in the NFL Hall of Fame who's considered an underachiever? And that's what Cam Newton's legacy will be. He underachieved. He was the number one overall pick in the NFL. He, four or five years in, I can't remember what season, he becomes MVP, and it's been crash and burn ever since. Do you know many Hall of Famers that get cut in the prime of their career? Can you think of a Hall of Fame? Cut. Maybe, maybe Terrell Owens because of some stupidity and, and things. But no one ever questioned Terrell Owens' talent. Terrell Owens could probably still play in the NFL Nobody right now to this Terrell day. Owens' heart. Nobody. If there was a fumble during the Super Bowl, Terrell Owens would have tried to get it. it did, what, didn't something happen with Cam? In a, in yeah, a I, was just gonna, I was just going to yeah. say, the Super Bowl yeah. was Cam Newton's downfall. Remember, Super, Cam Newton lost that fumble yeah. in the end zone. And Cam's like, oh, hell, I'm not doing that. I'm not touching that. Remember that? And I think the other thing, if I just could add this about Cam, man, I don't know if you realize this. You realize Cam Newton was the first victim of the cancel culture. Remember, it was right after that Super Bowl that he was in the press conference and the lady asked him the question and he's like, that's funny. That's funny. Right after that, he was cut from Dan and Yogurt. I remember that. You know, so he was the first victim. See, so right now, you know, Cam Newton is just, he don't realize this, but, you know, Cam Newton is kind of just collateral damage for the NFL right about now, you know. To enforce their COVID policies. Hey, I, I want to go out to Chicago and bring Greg Couch in and let him gloat about the uh, column he wrote yesterday and the conversation. Yes, he, he very well yesterday. should. Yeah, he can come. I'm going to let Greg come on and gloat. He called this 
and said that uh, Cam Newton's days were numbered as a starting NFL quarterback. Little did we know uh, the number was just hours away from popping. Greg, uh, the floor is yours. If you want to gloat about calling this uh, Cam Newton deal, have at it. Well, the only way I'd be able to gloat about it is if I'd have gone out and bet on it, which I did not do. So, uh, you know, I didn't take advantage of my opportunities, my, my foresight and knowledge. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, we called it on the show, and, and I was watch- I, I read the Boston Globe yesterday saying that this was never a competition in the first place, and it's clearly going to be Cam's job, and we've been wasting our breath even talking about it. That was yesterday. Now Cam's out of a job. You know, I think the thing with Cam was the lack of detail, like you said. Uh, you know, the COVID thing was a rule that he should have known. And I don't know whether the Patriots were covering for him or whether he just screwed up himself, but he should have known to get that test and not a vaccine, but the test right there on their grounds. OK, and he didn't do it. And then he leaves. Uh, he's suspended for or not suspended, whatever it would have been for a few days. And he comes back and then he gets criticized because he's listening to rap music and dancing between throwing the ball and warm ups. And they're saying he's not focused enough. And then, you know, he goes into the game and he makes a big mistake. The interception he threw where the linebacker was on the receiver and he threw it at the back shoulder instead of throwing it up over the receiver and let him run out and get it. And I think at this point, Belichick just wants, he's got a great line, he's got a great running game, and he just needs a quarterback who's not going to mess up. And to decide that Cam Newton is too much of a mess up rather than just having a rookie come in there and, and get things right and be a game manager plus, I guess, that's a pretty telling statement for Cam. And the details, it was all about his growing up and all about him being way bigger and better than everyone else and not having to pay attention to the details like we talked about yesterday. So I think his lack of attention to the details, and, and I don't really know what Cam's future is going to hold. And to be honest with you, I can't even believe, I'll say I'm surprised that they actually cut him because I don't. there's some theory out there now that Belichick is letting him go so that he can get an opportunity to catch on with another team or something. I don't really believe Belichick has that kind of a heart in him. He's a, this is a cutthroat business, and he wants to have his second-best quarterback on the team, you'd think, unless he thinks he's too big of a personality you know, to, to overwhelm uh, you know, Mac Jones. But uh, I don't know. I, it's hard for me to believe that he cut him. He must have just felt that he was too much of a hindrance, of an obstacle. Greg, I'm going to – the theory that Belichick did him some favor has been floated out there, but there's also a theory that uh, when he was told that he wouldn't be the starter, that Cam asked to be cut. I'm not sure if Belichick would grant that type of request, although Cam being such a unique personality, do you want him on your team if he's unhappy and feels like he's been wrong and not the starting quarterback? I, I really don't buy any of that. I just think go back and look at last year's tape. Go look at Cam Newton uh, that I think had more running touchdowns than actual passing touchdowns last year and how that Patriot team struggled and how he just was a poor passer. And we see the same thing in, in the preseason. I think they cut him based on performance and the fact that he's unvaccinated and too high risk to be their starting quarterback and not detail-oriented enough to follow these protocols. They don't trust Cam Newton completely. I think they like Cam Newton. I think Cam's a likable person. I know a lot of irresponsible people who are likable. For a long time in my life, I've been an irresponsible person. People like me. It's, it's, being irresponsible doesn't make you uh, unlikable. 
but it does make you a bad NFL quarterback. And, <laughs> and that's what happened to Cam Newton. What's your take on our debate? It, I'm, I, I don't even, I, it'd be silly to call it a debate. What do you think of the stupidity of Corey, one of our producers here, who thinks Cam Newton is going to the Hall of Fame based off of one MVP season and a couple other seasons where he made the Pro Bowl? <laughs> I, I like how you stack the deck with the way you asked that question. But there's yeah. no way Cam's a Hall of Famer. I mean, come on. He may have had a Hall of Fame two or three year span there, but no. I mean, he's, like you said, he got cut in his prime. He got cut. So, no, I mean, yeah, injuries have a little part of it, but mostly it's his head and his lack of self-awareness and his lack of discipline, frankly. So, no, he's not going to the Hall of Fame. No way. I'll give you a great example because Greg's got connections to Denver. I think Corey thinks he's Terrell Davis. And, like, Terrell Davis had a brilliant short career because of injuries. Gail Mm -hmm. Sayers, brilliant short career because of injuries. But quarterbacks now play until age 40. Cam Newton is done as a starter at age 32. He was the number one overall pick in the draft. He's went to three pole bowls and had one Super Bowl appearance. Rich Gannon has a better resume. A be- he was Rich Gannon MVP. was a far better quarterback. Don't you ever put Rich Gannon's name in the same breath as Cam Newton. Go ahead, man. <laughs> totally I totally agree with you. Totally agree. Don't you ever. Corey at one point this morning, I don't I, at one point this morning said, Cam's now the best MVP quarterback that's not in the Hall of Fame or or something. Look, we keep on talking. Remember what started this conversation yesterday with Corey? What? Drew, Drew, Drew Pierce. What's the boy's name? Drew Pearson. No, no, no. The Drew Bledsoe. Yeah. Yeah, that's what started. Yeah, Drew Bledsoe's the first ballot Hall of Famer. (laughs) He said Drew Pearson. No, he said. Oh, he did say Drew Pearson. Drew Drew, said Drew Bledsoe. He said Drew Bledsoe? Yes. Did you say you did not say Drew Bledsoe, Corey. He said Drew Bledsoe is going to be a first ballot, and that's made you pull up all them horrible names. <laughs> Matt Jones, the kicker from New England, all them people you pulled up. All right, Greg, you got any final thoughts on Cam Newton? There's rumors that, you know, people are saying he may go to the Houston Texans. You know, I think their quarterback is Tyrod Taylor. I just, I don't see it. I, I, I don't. Hold on, hold on. Greg, since you being Nostradamus and speaking things into existence, we would like to have Cam Newton in Kansas City. Could you just say that right now? We'll take him behind Patrick Mahomes. Just for, just for short yardage situations, running the end zone. <laughs> we just <laughs> pull back. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. It's funny to say that because I was thinking this morning, I was thinking, man, Cam just deserved to go. He, he's not good enough anymore. And then I started thinking, or would it be nice to have him on the Bears backing up fields? So, I mean, I'm contradictory to myself, but uh, maybe he's Vinny Testaverde. Maybe that's about how good Cam's career is. <laughs> I'm going to tell you who Cam is. And, and thank you, Greg. I'm going to tell you who Cam is. He's Tim Tebow. Somebody needs to give him a tryout as a tight end next season. Let's see if he can convert to tight end. See if he can block better than Tim Tebow. That, that's Cam's real future. If he had switched to tight end uh, 10 years ago, he'd be in the middle of a Hall of Fame career. Jason. What? I gotta, can, can, can I say something about Cam? I gotta, yeah, go ahead. That upsets me the most, uh, truthfully, yeah. and what we're talking about right now. You know what this is. What? Another black quarterback who refused to do the work to be a great quarterback and thought he could just rely upon his talent. And he's out again. 
Jim, you know what? I was going to save that because I am going to go there at some point in terms of Cam was coddled and pampered by the media. Anything, any criticism of him when he made a mess of himself after the Super Bowl wouldn't deal. Oh, y'all being racist and blah, blah, blah. And y'all didn't do this to a white quarterback. And we're just crippling these guys instead of demanding. Again, it's, it's, I hope I don't sound inappropriate when I say this because I don't want to say racist, but these Asian tiger moms, that's what we need. We need that mentality. We need to go study these Asian moms and how they get their kids to perform by any means necessary. And it ain't about excuses and rationalizations. It's about we bore, we bore you into this world and we're not accepting anything less than your best. We're not making excuses. Because look, Asian people can talk about the racial history here in America and across the globe that they face. But they're not about that life. They're about making a life. And God, we just need more of that. All right, great flavor, check. Low in calories, check. A variety of flavors to pick from, check. The best protein bar in the business, check, 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 check. check, 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 check. (laughs) Every day we talk about Built Bar here because they are that good. You need to try these as well, low in carbs, calories, and sugars. Built Bars have phenomenal tastes, unlike their competitors. They routinely come out with new flavors like Rocky Road, peanut butter brownie. Could someone Fire. send me the peanut butter Fire. brownie, please? I must have the peanut butter Fire. brownie. <laughs> Are y'all looking at me and how good I look? It's because of Built Bar. I've been, ha- they're a meal replacement for me. They're awesome. I thought it was because of the Spanx. Well, it was because of your COVID diagnosis, too. Uh, but these damn Built Bars have helped. Try them for yourself. Go to Built.com and use promo code FEARLESS to save 15% off your first order. Use promo code FEARLESS for 15% off at Built.com. Welcome back. Let's roll out to Los Angeles and bring in friend of the show, T.J. Hushmanzada, former Pro Bowl wide receiver with the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, TJ, obviously the news of the day, Cam Newton cut by the New England Patriots. I think he's a COVID casualty, what do you, I, 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 among other things, but a COVID unvaccinated casualty. What do you think the primary reason is Bill Belichick cut bait with uh, Cam Newton? You're not far off in what you're thinking. I actually believe that played a part in it. But there just wasn't a significant enough of a difference between himself and Mac Jones in the preseason. When you're talking a quarterback competition, one guy's a former MVP, played a decade in the league, and another guy's a rookie, you're going to go with a younger guy. And the Patriots – they keep things tight. They don't let many things out. So when Cam had to miss days because of COVID protocol and the Patriots put that out there, they were upset. They didn't like this. Cam isn't vaccinated. The Patriots put that out there for a reason. And now we see why. TJ, the, the, the thing that I don't like about this uh, is they're forcing this vaccine on players. 
Cam's already had COVID. He has the antibodies. He, he obviously, and has reason to believe, I'm 32. In terms of being in shape, I'm in the top half percent of people in America in terms of the way I uh, carry myself, what I put into my body, uh, you know, just in terms of overall health, he doesn't believe he needs the vaccine, but all the NFL rules are set up to punish the unvaccinated players and force them to get the vaccine. I find that unfair. Life isn't fair, Jason. The quarterback position is a position of leadership. It's a position of leadership. And it's what you said. They are making it tough to be an unvaccinated player. And let's just be honest. If you're unvaccinated and you get released, you are not getting signed. It's just that simple. You will be at home wishing, ah, I should have got vaccinated. That's just what it is. That's where the league is going. If you're unvaccinated, you are in a world of trouble. Kirk Cousins is lucky that his contract is, he has all these guarantees upwards of $45, $50 million, else he would be cut as well. Cam Newton not being vaccinated, I truly believe, they'll never say this, that played a part in it. Had he been vaccinated, number one, he wouldn't have missed those five days on that COVID protocol and whatever the misunderstanding was. But what strikes me though, Jason, is this was never really a competition if you look at it. Cam Newton would play a series or two. He's out the game. Let's let the rookie play. Competitions are Drew Locke, you start one game. Teddy Bridgewater, you start the next game. Taysom Hill, you start one game. Jameis Winston, you, that's a competition. The fact that they played this like Cam was the unquestioned starter and then just released him, to me, it, it has to be a big part of him being unvaccinated. TJ, his performance, particularly in the last preseason game, not strong. His performance all last year, not strong. To me, I argued earlier in the show that Cam didn't do all the things necessary early in his career to develop as a pocket passer. And if he had and didn't need to rely on his athleticism and running as much, I don't think he would have run into the string of injuries that have hampered the last three to four years of his career. I, that's where I blame Cam. You always have, in that, in that league, and if you want to have a long career, you have to develop as a pocket passer at the highest level. Agree? I do agree. I do agree. But Cam Newton running the ball made him one of the best quarterbacks in the league, hence he wins league MVP. And so what he was doing, it was working and it worked at a high level. He played in the Super Bowl as a starting quarterback. But last year, I'm not going to give Cam Newton a break. But you have to take into account who he was playing with. Let's just be honest, man. That New England offense was terrible. No starters on any, none of their skill guys could start on any other team in the league. Not one. He didn't have a lot to work with. You sign late to a complex system. You get COVID early. In the first four games of the season, what was everybody saying? Oh, my God, New England got Cam. Look what they're doing. They took Seattle to the brink, almost won that game. He gets COVID. He comes back. He's never the same. He has to take some blame in this. But it's hard for me with last year with the circumstances and what he was playing with to 
put too much. He just didn't have much. I thought he was better this year. And although he threw more interceptions and touchdowns last year, he had a pretty good completion percentage. This preseason, I thought it was fairly equal against Mac Jones, even though Mac played significantly more. And people got to take into account, and I think you corrected me, Mac Jones played one series against starters, and how many starters really were in that series. And so it's going to be interesting. Tua versus Mac Jones week one. Brian Flores is going to eat Mac Jones alive. (laughs) TJ, do you have any confidence or what do you think happens for Cam moving forward? Do you think he's ever a starter again in the NFL? No. There's only two teams right now that I can think of that would remotely consider him. And one of it's really one, Jason, is the Houston Texans. And, and if Houston, the, the sad part about it is Nick Casario comes from New England. So if they don't give him a chance, it's because of what they're hearing from their buddies in New England. He's a better quarterback than Tyrod Taylor. Over the course of their career, he's proven that. Houston's the only spot out there. The, the maybe other one could be the Washington football team, but they didn't sign him last year when they had a chance. And so that's why I say Houston is his only chance. That's his only chance of starting. Other than that, Cam will be a backup moving forward. He will no longer be a starter in the National Football League. Do you think his ego could handle being a backup in the NFL? I don't know. Once you reach a certain... I would say no, but once you reach a certain point in your career, sometimes you just have to accept things. And for Cam, he's made a ton of money. That makes it hard. He's made a ton of money. And he might, it's not even can he accept being a backup, Jason? Can a starter accept him being his backup? Because Cam is going to be more popular. Cam is going to be more popular than a starter unless he goes to Green Bay. He goes and plays in Seattle with Russell Wilson. He goes to Tampa Bay. Outside of that, you name a quarterback that's more popular than Cam Newton. The starter doesn't want him as a backup. That's the problem. <laughs> you make a hell of a point, and I'm going to tell you why. I, I lived this experience through Jeff George and, and why I think at age 34, Jeff couldn't get on any more NFL rosters because the coaches knew, like, this guy throwing the ball in practice is going to cause a problem for our starter. And we don't see Jeff George as a starter anymore. And so we don't want our receivers and other people running around like, hey, man, why don't y'all put Jeff George in? Jeff got an arm. (laughs) So sometimes you can have too much talent to be a backup. And that's what it – it sucks for Cam because – Jason, let's just be honest. If he's vaccinated, I truly believe he's on the team. They'll, they can't say that. But he he's a former MVP, Heisman Trophy winner, number one pick, led his team to the Super Bowl. Not many guys that have accomplished that become backups. He might be the first ever if we can go across that list and just number one pick, Heisman Trophy winner, national championship in college, MVP of the NFL, number one pick in your backup in your early 30s, it's unheard of. So I just, I can't see it happening. 
Last question, TJ, I'll let you go. Should this be what's happening with Cam Newton? Do you worry at all, like, could this be in Lamar Jackson's future down the road? Is that a bad analogy, or are they two different quarterbacks? I would say they're different, and Lamar Jackson has reached his high so fast. I mean, he's the MVP, led the league in touchdown passes. Cam has never done that. And so Baltimore has handicapped Lamar somewhat in a way. They, they know they can run a ball. We're going to stick to what we do best. They need to open up in the passing game because they know that's what's holding them back. I, I don't – I believe Lamar will evolve. I believe Lamar has more support than Cam than Cam had in Carolina. And Cam was good in Carolina. But Lamar has a support. Like, Harbaugh truly believes in Lamar Jackson. I think there became a point in time where Ron Rivera didn't really believe in him after a while. And and that's why things soured. But I will say this. Jason, if Lamar Jackson gets this $200 million contract, he ain't tripping on if his uh, career ends like Cam in his early 30s. (laughs) (laughs) TJ, earlier in the show, I I made the point that when Jerry Richardson, the owner of the Carolina Panthers, got run out of the league, that was the actual downfall of Cam Newton. Jerry Richardson and Cam Newton had a very tight relationship, and Jerry treated him like a son and and kept some restraints on Cam kind of off the field and personality-wise. And so I, I do think you make a great point in terms that entire Baltimore organization, from the owner, Steve Bashotti to the head coach, uh, John Harbaugh, they're all in on Lamar Jackson. And I think the other difference is, I, I think Lamar's life is centered around being a great football player. I think Cam Newton told us at the Combine before he got into the NFL, he wanted to be a global icon. Did His he make life it? wasn't about, no, he did, not. <laughs> he did not. His life wasn't about being a great football player. It was, it's fine, but Cam wants to do fashion. You know, a lot of that stuff I used to talk about on Speak for Yourself, when y'all laugh at me and I say, hey man, this guy gotta cut his hair, he gotta take that scarf off. <laughs> you know, there's a lot going on here that ain't about being a great quarterback. And it finally caught up with him. Jason, he, they better bring you on the team, man. If these guys knew better, they'd do better. Get you a part of their team. It, I tell people this all the time, man. Like, people, oh, man, how you work work with Jason? I'm like, dude, if you guys met Jason, you there's nobody that will meet Jason and won't like him, period. I, I don't care if you dislike him from watching TV. You don't know him. Once you meet him and you sit down and you talk to him, this dude is genuine. He cares about people. His opinion may be different. And that's what makes us all individuals. We don't all think alike. But he's a genuine person. He's smart. They need to get you on the team, Jason. Get you on the team. <laughs> TJ, one day they're going to figure it out. All I'm trying to tell people is how to make it. How to make it over the long That's all I'm doing. Uh, and and, and, willing and you to know, help everybody anybody. else going to tell you to do it one way. And you're willing to I'm help sorry, anybody. I'm sorry, say it again. That's willing. And you're willing to help anybody that's willing, that wants to help. Simple. At least that's what I got. CJ, thank you for the time. (laughs) Y'all, congrats to you and uh, 
LeVar, and Plaxico. Great interview with Eli Manning this past weekend. Great job. Jason, I appreciate it, man. And always a pleasure. Uncle Jimmy, good to see you back. Feeling good, baby. Thank you, man. Thank you. Quit running from me on that PS5, man. <laughs> that's that's what I was going to tell work. you. Because now you're feeling better. Your welcome back is I'll let you score seven points. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna put this on Twitch. I'm gonna let everybody see it. Come on, man. All right, we gotta go. I'm ready. I gotta get to Rich Ornberger. <laughs> Thank you, T. All right. If you're the if you are the type of person that likes a nice glass of wine, respectfully, then our friends over at Bonner Private Wines are just right for you. Bonner Private Wines are a group of Americans who got tired of those flimsy wines you can find at most supermarkets. They went out across the globe to find the best grapes to produce the best wine possible, and they have, been, have accomplished that feat. That journey led them down to Argentina to find the best Malbec grapes grown at the highest altitudes. Their wines are just right for the afternoon of hanging out in your backyard with friends, and they also pair very well with a great steak or Italian cuisine. Visit BonnerPrivateWines.com fearless and you'll get 50% off the wine and 50% off shipping. Just visit Bonner Wines, BonnerPrivateWines.com slash fearless. That's BonnerPrivateWines.com slash fearless. Welcome back. We're going to stay in California, roll out to San Diego, be joined by NFL analyst, Fox Sports radio analyst, former New England Patriot player in 2009 and 2010 with Belichick and, and Brady, Rich Ornberger, a uh, friend of mine, friend uh, used to appear on Speak for Yourself uh, with me all the time. This is his first appearance here on Fearless with Jason Whitlock. Rich, uh, welcome to the show. And look, guys, Rich's gray hair will throw you off. He looks like he played in the NFL in the 1960s. He actually did play in 2009 and 2010 for the Patriots. He had a four or five year NFL career. Was an offensive lineman. The other thing, Rich lost a bunch of weight. He looks like a quarterback now, but he actually used to be a tough guy uh, <laughs> and an offensive lineman. Rich, obviously we're calling to get your take on Bill Belichick's seemingly cold-blooded move of cutting bait with Cam Newton. When you heard the news this morning, what was your first reaction? My first reaction was it makes sense. It makes a lot of sense because nobody really outlives their usefulness in New England. And that's exactly what we saw with Cam Newton. I mean, New England's a place where they don't allow you to die on the vine, so to speak. They're going to move on from you before maybe you're ready to move on. But that's always the way it's been. That's, in fact, what they tried to do with Tom Brady and, in effect, accomplished. I mean, yeah, he left in free agency. But the truth is, if they wanted Tom Brady to retire a Patriot, they could have offered him a contract that would have made him comfortable uh, staying in New England. But they don't want the last of your years. They want the best of your years. So when I saw that news, I wasn't all that surprised by it. All right, you followed the COVID protocol issue with Cam Newton. How big of a factor on a scale of one to 100, how big of a factor do you think 
Cam violating COVID protocol and missing five days of practice. How big of a factor do you think that was in him being released? It's a huge factor. It really is. And I, I'm not going to say that COVID and his vaccination status was the only reason why he was cut. That's not the truth. He was outplayed in the preseason by Mac Jones. There's way more potential for Mac Jones as the starting quarterback of the New England Patriots than Cam Newton in that same role. But everything matters in New England. Everything you do matters. And so in that, it's not going to be acceptable for any player to miss a test or be confused by what is exactly required of them based on their vaccination status. And you're going to be made an example of. And, and if you're expendable, you're going to be expended of if Bill Belichick feels like it sends a strong enough message to the rest of the team. Look, Cam, there's no question about Cam being a great person and a good leader in the locker room and uh, an important voice, a veteran voice, and could have added to that culture potentially. But there are no excuses for a player of his age to have any sort of misunderstanding. You know, so he was made an example of, but at the same token, let's be very honest with each other. Mac Jones is the future in New England. I think it just, that timeline was quicker than many of us suspected. Rich, and I may be out on an island here, and, and, you know, you're a very intelligent guy and you have unique opinions, so I can't wait to get your reaction to this one. I, I, I think what the NFL, and, and more in particular, what the NFLPA has allowed as it relates to this vaccine and unvaccinated players and the rules that they face trying to force them into these vaccines, I think it's reprehensible. I, I, I think it's a joke. I think that Cam Newton, at 32 years of age, in seemingly perfect health, uh, in shape better than 99.9% of the human beings on the planet, not just America, but human beings on the planet, he's had COVID, he's, ha he's got the antibodies. I think it's totally unfair that these rules are stacked to try to force a guy like Cam Newton to take the vaccine. I understand that point of view. I certainly do. But at the end of the day, I always, I'm a why guy, you know, so I always consider that question first. So why on earth would the NFL be so strict as far as, you know, their, not necessarily mandates because they haven't gone that far and the NFLPA hasn't either. Um, but they are making it more difficult for unvaccinated players. And the, the question again is why? Well, it's because there's a lot of money on the line here. And at the end of the day, it's all about money. You know, this is a business. Jerry Jones got on radio last week, end of last week, the owner of the Dallas Cowboys. You know, many people would assume he might be in one camp or the other in terms of vaccines. But before he, you know, attends a political party, Jerry Jones is a capitalist and a businessman. And he knows what's best for business right now, per the statistics, is to have as many vaccinated players as possible. That's both because of the rules by the NFL and also what science is telling us about unvaccinated versus vaccinated people and the threat of COVID and all those things. So from a business standpoint, 
it, it is in the best interest of these owners and the union that governs the body of players and these coaches to try to encourage these players to be vaccinated. And that's the only reason why. They don't care otherwise. Look, if we're going to say that the NFL, or frankly, the NFLPA really cares about player health, there wouldn't be any such thing as the NFL because this is a dangerous game. As a matter of fact, playing the sport is probably more dangerous than COVID. But you have this unbelievable opportunity if you're a young man to make a tremendous amount of money. These billionaire owners are able to cut tens of millions of dollars in salary to these players because the NFL is a cash cow. So what's the best way to keep business rolling? Try to get as many players vaccinated as possible so you don't have a widespread outbreak and so that these players are more available on game days. Rich, Rich. I hear your point, but I I just got to go back. (laughs) I I hear you, but I don't. The NFLPA, their job is to protect all the players and the rights of all the players. We just went through an NFL season last year that didn't have these kind of stringent rules on unvaccinated players. Everybody was basically unvaccinated last year. Did anybody die? Was, was anybody so sick that their health has been damaged for the rest of their lives? We just went through a season last year, unvaccinated, everybody, no one died. And so to me, I do think it's about the money, but I also think it's more about keeping the media and politicians and the administration that's in charge. They want to keep the media and the Biden administration and the left off their back. And so they're going along with all these restrictions and we must treat COVID like it's uh, hell. They're treating it like it's worse than HIV. And the survival rate from HIV just isn't nearly as high as COVID. And when we're talking about young people and young athletes, no one's dying. Most of these guys are asymptomatic. You can't. And and, and Rich, I'm, I'm passionate about this because over the past couple of weeks, none of these guys have the balls yet to come out and put their name on it. But I'm hearing from players across the league, they're bothered by the way they're being treated on this vaccination thing. They don't feel like the NFLPA is standing up for them. I I just, I get why Lamar Jackson, he's had COVID twice. Hmm. He ain't dead. He didn't, he he hasn't been hospital. He doesn't want to do it. He's 24, 25 years old. Why take, in his view, an experimental treatment just because it's the because there are people that believe the NFLPA took a check. And that's why they didn't fight the NFL on some of these uh, rules and protocols. But so you just heard me ramble on. Uh, I don't even know if I got a question. I just want you to respond to my my latest ramble on why I feel sorry for Cam and all these guys. No, listen, I I respect 
everybody's point of view when it comes to this issue, because a lot is being asked of uh, everybody, you know, uh, you know, just from the standpoint of the general public, a little bit of a leap of faith, you know, in terms of uh, a, a vaccine that didn't have uh, FDA approval until very recently. Um, the concentration always, I, I hope, was on the greater good or serving the greater good, which is, you know, essentially getting everybody as healthy as possible so they could be active members of society and this economy writ large, right? But, but okay, so that's at the macro level. That's the world, the whole wide world. Let's shrink that down to the micro level and talk about just the NFL and just what you're talking about. You know, compared to other things that players have been expected to do and exposed to in the past, you know, rule changes and uh, certain experimental surgeries, which are elective, but many players are willing to take the risk to continue playing football and earning at the level they're earning at. You know, there's risks involved with virtually every decision you make in the NFL, you know, because you're always at risk in the NFL. And so while this is a very personal circumstance, we're talking about being injected with a medicine that you may or may not have belief is going to do much for you, or you may have a belief that it's going to protect you entirely. It, you know, again, I respect all point of views. The, the fact of the matter is though, the why, the why this is happening is very clear to me. It's because these coaches don't wanna have a situation the NFL PA doesn't want to have a situation. The NFL owners don't want to have a situation where it's Sunday night football or Monday night football and you have a situation like the Denver Broncos had where they had all three of the quarterbacks on their roster in the COVID protocol because there was concern that they could spread the disease throughout the roster if they played in the game or to the opposing roster. And they had a start a wide receiver at quarterback who they had signed a month ago and was a practice squad wide receiver to start that week. And so again, this all comes back to the almighty dollar bill. These players, these owners, these coaches, these front office folks, everybody's just trying to get theirs, right? And I understand the, the instincts to protect yourself from somebody telling you to do something you don't want to do. But that's part of living in the NFL. I can't tell you how many days I showed up on the job and because I was a part of a team, I did something I didn't want to do. Now, this isn't mandatory. The vaccine isn't mandatory. They're just making it harder on you if you elect not to have the vaccine. And frankly, from a standpoint of business, I understand it because they're trying to protect their business model. And that is the whole goal here. It's not for the greater good or the health of the players. It's money. And so... I don't know. Conspiracy theories aside, I mean, because you can sort of connect all the dots with the administration and the media and everything. I just think it's about trying to have as healthy of a league from the COVID standpoint as you possibly can moving throughout the season, because you'll have all of your stars hopefully available every Sunday and Thursday and Monday night that you're going to be airing and broadcasting these games. And so... I hear all that and I think about Cole Beasley and the vaccinated, the fully vaccinated trainer who got COVID and then had contact with Cole Beasley. And so to me, if they could show me like, oh, you got the vaccine, you're not going to get COVID. 
They can't do that. That's my problem. It's like the vaccine isn't bulletproof against the against the the coronavirus. And and there's starting to be reports that, hell, your natural immunity is actually better. I I, I, I'm going to I'm going to get off the covid conversation and go back to what do you think's in Cam Newton's future? You think he's ever a starter in the NFL again? I think the only way that Cam Newton is going to be a starter again is if the quarterback he's backing up is injured and he's forced into action. If he continues his career, it's most likely going to be as a backup. And and that's not really all that profound of, of a thought process. Cam has regressed. We saw that highlight year, that 2015 year, you know, people still talk about it because it was that good of a season by a quarterback. And he took a lot of abuse that year. And I think we've seen the result of which because since then he hasn't really been the same guy. Uh, Cam Newton had his day as a dual threat quarterback in this league, as a starting dual threat quarterback in this league. Now I think he's going to be a veteran voice in the quarterback room, maybe help groom some younger players who have similar physical attributes and a similar career trajectory. And the only time he'll probably find himself in a starting role is if that quarterback happens to be injured or unavailable and he's forced into the action that way. Rich, uh, I know you already know this, uh, but uh, the Ball State Fighting Cardinals are coming to Happy Valley uh, That's very right. soon. And they will be embarrassing you, LeVar Arrington, Kurt Warner. Did John Capaletti play uh, at, at Penn State? Did I get that right? Did. did John Capaletti play at Penn State? All of you about, about to catch Matt Millen. You're all, you're giggling and laughing. We finished, we finished 23rd ranked in the nation last year, and our whole squad is coming back. Uh, you'll be hearing from me in mid-September. Uh, we'll be replaying this tape of you giggling and laughing. Uh, the Ball State Cardinals will, uh, you'll be catching these hands very shortly. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Thank you for having me on the show. I love what you're doing. Anytime you need me, I'll be back. Thank you, Rich. Appreciate it. All right, go to youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Delano Squires, Professor D, uh, Jimmy, right around the corner. Did you just threaten somebody with the Ball State Cardinals? He, they, trust me, we're going to shock the world here in a couple of weeks. We have a team that's loaded for bear. Wow. James Franklin, Penn State. I hope y'all ready. Because we are. All right. Don't go anywhere. Delano Squires, Professor D. My Welcome back. Time for some Professor Delano. We're going to roll out to uh, Washington, D.C. and bring the smartest man on the show onto the show. Uh, We've talked a lot about Cam Newton and the NFL. Let's take a break. Talk a little politics or culture with uh, Delano Squires. Uh, Professor D. has written a column today, White Guilt More Destructive Than White Rage. Robin D'Angelo's new book unwittingly makes a persuasive case 
Robin D'Angelo, of course, wrote the book uh, White Fragility. She's a star. She's the white female version of Ebron X. Kendi, I think. She's a leader in the woke movement. Uh, Delano, uh, explain your column today about how she perhaps unwittingly uh, argued something that you actually believe in. Sure. So um, in, in her new book, uh, which is titled, entitled Nice Racism, um, the subtitle of it actually is that, you know, explaining how white progressives call ra- cause racial harm. Um, and I thought about that over the weekend because every day I, I see new instances of, you know, schools lowering standards of performance, getting rid of, um, you know, testing mechanisms or, you know, el- elite, as I said, standards of performance for, you know, specialized high schools across the country. Um, I see certain behaviors being excused, uh, particularly w- within the African-American community, uh, based on the notion of, well, certain people don't have the same types of resources and there was redlining 60 years ago, so you have to expect certain things to go on. And after a while, you know, honestly, I just, I just got sick of it. And I got tired of hearing people, um, you know, say that certain things should be acceptable um, in our community and, and, and they not, you know, accept those own things in, in, in their own homes or in, or in their own community. So as I thought more about it and, and I thought about how, you know, the corporate media and basically every institution in this country is sold out to the notion that, you know, white supremacy and white rage is the major threat to the homeland. And then I asked myself, which of these two things, you know, white guilt or white rage, um, is more accepted in mainstream culture? Um, Which of them is celebrated um, when they're seen and which of them is, you know, universally condemned? And it was clear to me that that white guilt has a lot more room to operate. Um, Jason, I'm sure you see every day there's, you know, there's some, you know, TikTok video of some teacher talking some craziness to her students and, and nobody seems to say anything about it. There are private schools in D.C., that have been totally overrun with Ibram Kendi style anti-racism, everything from the administration down to the classroom. Um, and I just, I just decided it was time to write about it. And, and specifically on a personal level, it offends me because people like Robin D'Angelo think that her opinion of me and my family and my neighborhood and my community um, is something that I should care about. So she has these sessions with you know, other guilty white folks, and they speak as if it is their um, behaviors and thoughts and values that will ultimately um, decide the future and the fate of black America. And I reject that completely. Um, And it it offends me on a personal level. And that's why I decided to write the column. You know, as I was sitting there listening to you talk, Delano, I, I was thinking about my humble beginnings. And, you know, my dad didn't graduate high school. My mother was a factory worker. Uh, I lived at times in some real poverty. And, uh, you know, particularly when I was a young boy and then when I was older, a senior in high school, I'm talking about real poverty. There's just me and my father in a one bedroom, 400 square foot apartment. My father making $200 a week as a bartender uh, for a friend and, and, and I, there were no diminished standards for me mm-hmm. in terms of what my father expected of me 
wasn't controlled by our conditions. Was it, were we redlined into that one bedroom, 400 foot apartment? Probably not, <laughs> but and so it didn't matter how you get end up in the hood in impoverished conditions, but what are the standards that you hold yourself to? And I know so many other people that started from nothing, but now they're here. And it's like this entire uh, generation is being taught that uh, where you're allowed to buy a house and how close, how much access you have to white people determines how much success you're gonna have. And it is offensive, and I could imagine as a black father and husband, you know, three kids, that's gotta be offensive to you. Yeah, absolutely. So, and the, the most ironic part of it is the is particularly the, the black folks who do this are the ones that claim to have, you know, the highest sense of racial pride. These are the people you know, whether it's Hannah Nicole Jones or Ibram Kendi or Ta-Nehisi Coates or any number of activists and elected officials who look at a high school that's 95% black. And before they ask, you know, what type of performance, you know, the, the kids are, are, you know, what level of performance the kids are at, you know, what are some of the issues that they face maybe in their homes or in their neighborhoods? The first thing they say is, oh, this school is 95% black. It's segregated and therefore it's less than. But for some reason, when a college campus is 95% black, right, and as an HBCU, then that is a, a, a culturally affirming education environment. So even though they, they claim to preach pro-blackness, in effect what they do is that they equate something that's all black to something that's negative. And that's just not something that I can, I can get on board with. And they, they do it, whether you're talking about communities, neighborhoods, schools, and as I said, I, I find it uh, offensive. And, and really, again, part of the, the, the column was about, you know, Robin D'Angelo and the types of obsessions uh, of, you know, guilty white liberals and, and the reason that they do some of these things. Because, you know, really what it is, and I say this in, in the article, it's really a symbiotic relationship between um, white liberals who are seeking forgiveness for sins that they didn't commit and black liberals who are seeking uh, affirmation for injustices that they didn't really um, endure. <laughs> and that relationship is one in which they both feed off of the, the, the trauma and the, the negative environments and circumstances, oftentimes of the black poor. And we've talked about this before, right? That's how you see you know, an incident, whether it's George Floyd or Breonna Taylor, it starts out talking about police reform, and then next thing you know, it's about paying Robin D'Angelo $20,000 to give a speech at the University of Kentucky and Ibram Kendi $40,000 to do some training seminar, you know, in, you know, Loudoun County Public Schools. It always goes that way. And our country, and I said this in the article, we're stuck between a black rock and a white hard place where these people have us on a path of, of tribal warfare, right? Because eventually, and, and I'm going to be frank here, eventually some white folk are going to stand up, get some steel in their spine, and they're gonna start walking out of these HR meetings and saying, I'm not putting up with this crap. I'm not gonna allow you to make me feel guilty for things that I didn't do. That's how I would react. There's no way that you would get me to sit in a seminar for an hour and, and to have me apologize for the actions of other people just because they look like me. So if a black guy sticks up a store, I'm not gonna come in and prostrate myself in front of some instructor and say, oh yes, I'm so sorry. No. 
all of us should be judged on the things that we do. We're not even responsible for the things that our parents do, let alone people who we don't know who just happen to you know, share our, our, our skin color. So I just, as I said, I find it offensive, and particularly as it relates to Christians. Um, I see that this, this you know, Kendian-style anti-racism has crept its way into the church, into the, the American evangelical church, and it is tearing apart relationships, and it's going to tear apart churches. And the way I, I typically see it work is that white Christians take upon themselves a certain savior status, and they believe that it is their job to rescue black folk in general from the legacy of Jim Crow and slavery. And black Christians accept that, that position, that lowered status, right? Not as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, but really as, as, as children who need to be rescued. And with their mouths, they say, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. But in the back of their minds, they say, but only if white people let me. And as I said, that, that type of thing is, is weakness. And weakness is always met with more aggression in, in, in the natural world. So I'm, I'm not for reason, raising weak men in my house. I'm not for um, you know, promoting that type of behavior. And that's why when I see it, I, I, I feel obligated to speak out you know, about it. Because I really do think you know, our country has come a long way in the last you know, generation and I see everyday instances of people trying to relate to one another as individuals, trying to work together in a sense of harmony and, and, and brotherhood. And you have these, these people, again, motivated by guilt on one hand and the desperate need for affirmation on the other, who are making everybody's lives much more difficult. Uh, Delano, you had another, I thought, brilliant passage in, in, in your piece. If white guilt in the classroom threatens American minds, its counterpart on the streets threatens American lives. I thought that was great, and then your explanation afterwards, I thought, really hammered that point. If you don't mind explaining. Sure. Um, as I said, I started talking about you know the way this works out in, in the classroom, right? So schools getting rid of the, the mayor of Oregon, and I mentioned this in the piece, the, the governor, excuse me, of Oregon, um, got rid of the literacy and numeracy standards that kids had to meet before they graduated. And she specifically said she was doing it in the name of, you know, black and indigenous and Latino, you know, students. Um, so again, lowering standards in the name of equity. What we saw last year was a similar um, type of phenomenon as it related to standards of, of behavior and conduct in our cities all across the country. So when you know there were you know there were protests racial justice protests after you know george floyd was killed and alongside with that there were instances of looting and burning and violence and the, and the reaction from corporate media was uh some combination of you know um uh, rioting is the language of of the unheard it was um this is not property damage is not really violence. Um, it was, well, who cares if these, these kids steal some things from Gucci because that's really some form of reparations. And time and time and again, what you saw was elected officials, right? Oftentimes white mayors and white governors who made excuses for certain behavior in, in our communities that they would never allow in their own. And the reason I know that is because some of them, and I'm thinking particularly the mayor of Seattle, 
where she allowed, you know, anarchists and radicals to take over, you know, six square block, six square block portion of a city. And she made light of it until those protesters came to her house. Then she shut the whole thing down. And in, in the span of time that Chaz was up and operating, there were two young black men who lost their lives. So um, again, I, I mentioned Mayor Bill de Blasio, who I just think is completely incompetent and has wrecked New York City in many different ways. He has a program now where he wants to pay uh, people who've engaged in criminal behavior to not do so. Earlier in his tenure, he, he gave um, you know criminals cell phones and tickets to Mets games. And it, it's always about uh, lowering standards when it comes to black folk in the name of equity. And the, when that happens, when they criticize the police and the police pull back and, and become you know, more conservative, small c in terms of, of you know, crime prevention, the people who always end up losing their lives are black folk. And I've said this before, 96% of New York's homicide victims last year were either black and Hispanic. So the latte liberals and, and the Chardonnay Antifa folks talk a good game from the safety of their homes but when it comes to the people whose bodies are dropping, it's always the ones in our community. Delano, uh, great job. I got an assignment for you the rest of the week. If okay. you haven't already uh, made up your mind what you're going to write and talk about next time. But I saw you yesterday tweet out something I found fascinating, and I, I responded to it as well. The uh, United Teachers Association <laughs> LA president Cicely mm-hmm. Meyer Cruz says learning <laughs> says learning loss is a myth. She quote she she was quoted directly. It's okay that our babies may not have learned all their times tables. They know the difference between a riot and a protest. They know the words insurrection and coup. Uh, I can't wait to hear your take on that. <laughs> if you don't write about it, we're certainly going to talk about it. Okay. But uh, thank you so much. Great job as always. Thank you, guys. Uh, have you, have y'all, Uncle Jimmy, does he know you're back? I don't know. Have you, have you let me have a word? Have you let oh. me speak to the brother? Quickly, you know. Uncle, you hey, know. good, good. Hey, man, good, good, good seeing you, man. <laughs> I truly appreciate you keeping this brother in line with me being gone. <laughs> <laughs> truly, man. Thank you good, so good. much, man. All right. Good, Somehow good he survived COVID, you know. Yeah. All right, yeah, man. Yeah, Thank yeah. you, bro. Thank Keep God. it up, man. Right. I took out a life insurance. Did I tell you I took out a life insurance policy on you? No, nah, but uh, my mama said COVID. you probably did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about that paper now. All right. All right go to YouTube.com slash Jason Whitlock. When we come back, Uncle Jimmy's got a Bible story. And we'll have our approval rating on Cam Newton. All that next. So is Uncle Jimmy's Bible stories. Oh, happy day. We've had a heck of a show, Jim. I hope you have a Bible story to match. Okay. 
<laughs> Not to put any pressure on you. No, no pressure at all. No pressure. But you know, you know, I went to Pastor Bobby's church. Did I tell you yesterday? I heard about that. On Sunday. I heard about that. So, and he'll be here tomorrow. So, uh, hook, how did you act at pa- Pastor Bobby's church? Very well. I was very, you know, I hung in the back. Did, know, I mean, did, did you sit? I mean, did, did you sit back and be quiet? Or did Absolutely. You, or did you try to spice it up and? I did not try to spice it up. I did not want to make a spectacle of myself. You know, the one thing about, honest to goodness, the one thing I did think is when you're a public figure in COVID, when you go out someplace and people aren't expecting you, you shake every hand. (laughs) And so, really, yeah, I mean, it's not because, again, everybody wants to shake your hand. And so I was like, wow. This is this could be COVID central for me because did you have I, on a glove? No, I shook every hand though. People came. There was a lot of hands to shake. But anyway, let's do it, buddy. Let's hear your Bible story. Well, today's story, and and and, and I don't. The, today's story is about Jesus and him healing the ten lepers. Jesus and the healing of ten lepers. And the healing of ten lepers. Were you one of the lepers that he healed, or? Is that is that what brings this to mind? Now, actually, if you let me finish my story, you oh. might be a little surprised. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think of you as a leper, though. I think of you more as a. Well, well, you know what? You might not think you might not think of me as a leper, but if you listen to this story, you might see where this is going to go. Oh, okay. You like all it right. Well, bit. go ahead, knock it out. Now, first of all, remember I told you back in the day that. When Jesus moved around, he moved around like a rock star. Yeah. Yeah, I told you that. And like and, Speech Cobbler. And, 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 and he created a crowd wherever he went. Remember, we talked, we, we talked about the lady that said that the lady was sick, but she said, if I could just touch the hem of Jesus' garment, I would be made whole. Yeah. Well, see, I found this story about the lepers interesting because the lepers couldn't do that. Because the lepers had to be kept separate from society. The lepers had to stay in a group by themselves. See, now you just said this, but to me, this kind of sounds like how America is starting to treat their unvaccinated people. Mm. See, they're put over here. You're considered to be an unclean people. And one of the things... That's what the word is. Yeah. Okay. And and the thing about it also is they had to stay in that group. If you got caught being mixing out in public, the the people, the public had a right to stone you. Okay. So this was very serious. Wow. You start to bring this home. Go ahead. Okay. And, and, And so they can't get to Jesus, but they're screaming for Jesus. 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 Now. You calling Jesus' name, so Jesus like, they must know me. So Jesus goes over here to talk to him. Now, you know, this is not making the disciples very happy. You know, because Jesus going over here talking to these unclean people. Unvaccinated. Yeah, and, and they like, come on, man. But the Jesus like, what can I do for you? They asked Jesus, they said, can you help us? Can you help us with our condition and what we're doing? Because, you know, can you help us? And and what I liked about this was Jesus didn't heal them straight out. Jesus told them, said, here's what I need you to do. You need to go seek the advice of the high priest, the wise man. So in other words, what Jesus did was he sent them to seek a second opinion. Mm. Okay. 
Now, you know, I had this similar situation actually in college. Okay. I had a, a drip okay. and I actually <laughs> called on Jesus. <laughs> and I had to go see a doctor about that. But conti- this was back in college, back at a different, whole different time. But go ahead. You know, it's just amazing. You just don't burst into flames. <laughs> Listen, now I was going to say yeah. that it kind of reminded me of when I went to the doctor on Thursday. Mm. And I went to the doctor on Thursday, and you know as well as I do, that doctor said, Jim, you got to go see a specialist. That's, that is accurate. Okay. And, and, and see, I had to go see that specialist on Friday. See, like I told you, Jesus didn't heal them straight out. See, 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 Jesus, it, it wasn't until they was on their way to see the specialist that they was healed. Okay, so in other words, they had to do that act of faith to be healed. Now, here's where the story gets good at, because he healed all 10 of them. But it was only one of them that stopped in his tracks and turned around and told Jesus, thank you. It was only one. Okay, and it reminded me of when I went to the doctor on Friday. Because I told you when I went into the doctor, when I went to see the doctor, the doctor said, I don't know what happened, but he said, your body has healed itself. I told you, the doctor said, Jim, we had you scheduled for surgery on Friday. We was ready to take you down and perform this, but you're healed. And I don't know what happened, but bro, you good, so you can go. Mm. Now, you asked me yesterday, you said, Jim, what did you learn from Corona in your time being off? And what I learned was I had a lot of people looking out for me. People talk stuff, but you honestly looked out for me. You cared about your boy. I'm trying to lay up and die from Corona and you would not leave me alone for a minute. And I appreciate it. I had Gaston Mooney who got me a doctor, got me a nurse that came to my house every other day and checked on me. My mother sent me a video of Pastor Clark in the Hattiesburg Missionary Church. And he started off his prayer and he started off his prayer praying for my home. For your home? Praying for my home. Uncle Jimmy's home. Yes. And then he prayed for my sons. And then he prayed for me. I got an auntie who has a prayer group at her church that was lifting up my name and lifting up the name of my kids. And you know, you talked about me being passed out in an ambulance getting called for me. Man, my 15 year old son, Ducey, you know, the little dude with the braids, the little dude that sometimes had the pants coming off his butt and I get upset about. Man, I'm laying in the floor I can't even lift up my own head, man. And my 15-year-old son picks up my hand. And my 15-year-old son said, God, I'm lifting up my daddy in prayer. So I'm telling you, man, I raised a 15-year-old son that this 15-year-old son knows that when times get hard, he knows he can reach out 
and he can call on the spirit of Jesus to help his daddy. See, Jason, it's not the fact that God don't help and bless people. It's the fact that people don't stop and tell God, thank you for the blessings and the goodness that he's brought for them in their life. Uh, we're not going to do the approval rating. Uh, I said, and that's all we'll see you tomorrow. Just wanna have freedom Sitting on the corner, never been alone